Welcome to Game Art Kurt the Games Factory, where we discuss with industry professionals how to break into the industry. And I'm your host, Nick Sweetman. I'm here at the Game Factory today with designers Emil Mazud and Arash Samanda, and we're going to talk about game design and how to break into the mobile games industry with tips and tricks. So I wanted to start first of all by asking the question if you could give us a short introduction of yourselves and we'll start with uh, Orash. Well, uh, my background, I was 13 years, I was in the IT and education field. I worked from uh, K uh, through 12 up to university. I was a computer technician and I was also a network admin. And then uh, from there, I got into teaching and training, um, worked my way from the U.S. By the way, I was living in the U.S., forgot to say that part. And then I had moved to Finland and I uh, went to university here, studied in Aalto University uh, in game design and production. And then I landed a job uh, in my first year, actually, before I even graduated um, in um, Digital Chocolate. And then... I worked there for a while and in a number of other games companies, you could say. I worked about five years in the industry and uh, as a designer. And uh, now I'm working as a designer and a consultant for the industry. Uh, and I also teach um, art and design to students in a local art academy. Okay. Yeah. Didn't you start with something different at DCHOC? At D-Check, I started, yes, I got my foot in the door. That's what my friend said, like, just take the job. Mm -hmm. and, and this is actually a good learning experience for people. Yeah. But I started as a community coordinator, and then I there switched you. over uh, after six months. So, yes, I was a community person for six months. That was quite fast, like six months? Yeah, it was very, designers? very quick. Uh, they, knew, they knew in the interview that uh, I, I was a designer. They were just like, so you could be a designer eventually. And I said, yes. And then they just asked me design questions, not really interviewing me for the actual job I was applying for. <laughs> okay. So, okay. but yeah, yeah, so you're why. you're right. Yeah, and Emil and I work together in the same company, so that's why he knows some of the the background, the background. Okay. backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, and Emil, do you want to give us a short overview of your background as well? Well, um, I studied electric engineering in Mexico for mm -hmm. well, only three semesters. Then I flunked. Okay. And then uh, my dad, uh, quite like the Fresh Prince, he sent me to my <coughs> uncle's house. But okay. instead of it being in Bel Air, he sent me to Paris, <laughs> the suburbs of Paris, to be more specific. Yeah. And uh, there I actually was a bit lost and I didn't know what to do. I never considered game design as a career because in Mexico, that's not something you can do normally. Uh, so my aunt just found this game design school and she was like, hey, why don't you just like uh, apply here? And I was like, oh, okay. And then um, I did that and I studied game design for three years. I got a bachelor's degree. And um, after that, my friend, he got me an internship here in Finland. So I went from Paris to Finland and um, I went from internship to internship until I landed at DCHOC, which then... Uh, was laying off employees and I luckily landed a job in Rovio. But like being at DCHOC also really helped me get that job. Okay, so interesting travels, yeah, yeah. moving around a bit, yeah. <laughs> Something I did not plan for whatsoever. Yeah, lucky. yeah. Okay, so um, this is a general question for both of you. So what do you consider the essential ingredients that make a good game designer? What would you say some of those are? And... Uh, 
we can start with Arash. Um, actually, these are great, um, how would you say, essential ingredients for, for not just a good game designer, but just anyone in general, yep. but especially for game design. Um, active listening or listening, being able to listen properly uh, mm. and really understand people, it's extremely important. Usually I, I, I used to use the word with my students, communication, but unfortunately people misunderstand what communication is and they think that communication is talking and telling people things, uh, when in reality it's a combination of being able to listen well and then communicate um, people's ideas. Please note that I'm nodding a lot. Yeah, and <laughs> Emilia is sitting here <laughs> nodding his head. So I would say those are probably the most important above and beyond mm. everything else. I don't care if you're not good at math. I don't care if you're not a good artist. I don't care if you're not a good designer. You know, those are the number one things. Um, and then the two other things I would say, if I don't forget them while I'm talking, is being able to take po uh, criticism and apply it to yourself without getting defensive, like actually, again, this has to do with listening because that's how you grow. Um, and then the other thing is actually being able to work in a team with other people. It's extremely important um, because the world is not the same. This is not where, you know, one guy or girl creates everything on their own. You have to be able to work with other people, hence the listening and communicating. Uh, part. So I would say those are the most important important for for anybody uh, amongst any other <laughs> skills you could have. Mm -hmm. You could be the greatest and we've had this actually in Dchuck. I yeah. won't bring up names of people, yeah. but mm -hmm. there's been super 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 talented people that have been hired but actually didn't make it because um, or last long because they were super skilled, but they just could not work well within the team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's, a, I'd rather, if I w have a company where I want to hire someone, I'll hire someone that has those skills or is passionate enough to gain those, I mean, have, you know, open enough to critique and whatever to gain those. And they can grow into a role or position much better than someone that's like, I can do everything on my own. That That's not yeah. good. Yeah. So those are in my opinion, and Emil's, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I, I think John nailed it. Oh, sorry. All right. It's fine. I can go by either one. Um, yeah. Like the only thing I would add to that is like I think the job of a game designer is kind of like being a filter, right? Like you're taking the feedback from your team, or even like from the company, from whoever, and just like trying to filter what's good and just like filter out what's bad. And that also applies to yourself as a game designer. Like you have like many games that you love, uh, many ideas that you would love to have in a game. So you also have to filter those and make sure that what you have there is it's there because it fits, not because you like it. Yep. And <laughs> so I did everything else. Like the, the number one thing is still communication and working with a team. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess, being analytical, like knowing um, how mechanics work and blah, blah, blah. But that's... <laughs> I, I, Emil actually brought up something very important that he, he said, uh, and I, I don't know if there will be later questions, but it's good to point it out because a lot of people don't, they, they skip over, they forget that uh, this is a, an industry and an industry is a business. And when you go and you work for a company and you're making games and designing and working with other people, um, 
Of course, you might love RPGs, and next thing you know, you're making a football game, and it has nothing to do with any of those things. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to find that passion in and the love in what you do in solving mm -hmm. problems and working with other people, mm -hmm. uh, so that uh, you're able to continue doing those things. That's yeah. that's real life, and also being able to um, understand like uh, how can I. Well, actually, you could apply some of this stuff. Like, if you love a game enough, you might actually be able to introduce some of those mechanics yeah, into the football game. Maybe yeah. you know, in a way. Yeah. But, as long uh, as they fit. As long as they fit. But you have to consider sometimes that does the mechanics or the things that I'm trying to do fit with, make business sense now. Yeah. Not yeah. just this is cool, so we got to have yeah. it because yeah. I like it or other people like it. But is this going to yeah. actually help our company? Mm. So yeah, yeah. So if you could travel back in time to give yourself one essential piece of advice for your career in game design, what would that be? And we'll start with Emil. Um, actually, I've been really lucky in my career. I don't have any big regrets. I've made mostly the right choices, as far as I know. But if I could travel back in time, one thing I would tell myself is to actually be like more humble, to like acknowledge that I, as a junior, like knew way less than my superiors and the producer than my supervisor. Uh, I mean, of course, I I listened to them, but uh, I always thought that I knew like better, or like if hey, if they gave me a chance, like I could show them. But in the end, as I matured, I've noticed like I still don't know everything or maybe anything. It's always good to just like stop and think and uh like really think what people are telling you mm. and that's that's basically it other than that i mean once again really lucky so is it my turn yeah i have um, a short one uh so it's a it's i wouldn't say it's exactly one thing it's like a grouping of things but um well, actually, I'd freak myself out if I saw myself. <laughs> then that would be one thing. But um, so it's me. Don't worry. Yes. Is that uh, your accent? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, actually, it would be one. Um, don't be scared of math. That's one thing. I've, I always had, have had a problem, and that's because my mom was a math teacher, so that then the, the, shoe man's shoe, the shoe man's son doesn't wear shoes or whatever this saying is. But that was kind of one thing. Just don't be scared and try to get through it. Uh, and um, then the other thing was it's okay to fail as long as you learn from mm. your failure. That's very, very important. Growing up in the U.S. especially, and also my background, I'm originally from Afghanistan, so I have this kind of you know, you must never fail and you must be a doctor and, you know, this type of thing. So I had a lot of pressure on me to succeed in like a highly competitive country. And I had a highly competitive culture from my upbringing. Um, and they don't really leave too much room for failure. And the thing is, if you fail and you learn, it's the best way, failing fast, failing forward, all of these. I'm sure you're going to end up hearing mm -hmm. those. So it's okay to fail, fail fast, learn from your mistake, move forward. Of course, like Emil said, be humble about it. And then um, the other thing is that I would tell myself that no matter what you do or no matter what job you have, it's okay. It's not a waste of time. And it will come in some type of use for you when you get older and it might be a long time it might be 25 or 30 years later when you realize 
holy crap, when I had to clean toilets in that, you know, fast food restaurant, uh, that actually helped me as a designer now, you know, and you think <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. no, that's horrible. I, but actually you learn about customer service. You mm. learn about how to interact with people. You learn about responsibility. Mm. You learn respect, like even cleaning toilets. Sorry, I know it's really weird, but <laughs> but you know, I guarantee you, now I sound like my father or something, but if you clean toilets, mm. you know that when you're a game designer, you appreciate your job a lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Versus if you didn't, you're like, oh, game. I can always be this, but <laughs> like, no, no. I used to clean toilets. Oh. Now I'm a game designer. So you gain. Not that that's my previous job, but <laughs> that was in the beginning. But you work your way up to you know cleaning yeah. other places. But you do all these other types of jobs, and mm. every single one of those jobs, mm. no matter how strange. You know, you sold legal insurance or you mm, yeah. uh, worked in a clothing department. No matter what it is, don't think, oh, my God, this is such a waste of time. If I could only spend that doing design stuff or working in a games company, I would be X, Y, Z. But in reality, what you're doing is you're rounding yourself out as a human being. And that's more important than anything else. And that will all come back and help you and differentiate you. That's why I actually have an unfair advantage against a lot of my peers because I have this whole other life or lives that I've gone through that gives me all these other experiences that I can draw upon that they don't have. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets me through job interviews and things like this. So that's what I would say, you know, my one thing, my 100 (laughs) things to myself. Can you give me an example of a design problem that you've encountered during a production of a game and how you would approach solving it or how you approach solving it? Yeah, yeah one does a hard one. Yeah, uh, well, I actually, mine, mine, I discussed this earlier that um, I, I, it's, a, it's a really good question and it's really difficult, but <laughs> I, I think that maybe my answer would be a lot more generic uh, in that because I could give a very specific example, but I think how much a, a beginning designer would benefit from that example probably varies little because it'll take years before they get into that type of situation to, to be able to solve it and it'll be a different situation with a different solution. So instead I would say that uh, how can I, uh, uh, th- what's more important is how can I tackle a design problem in general, any type of problem and one of the biggest problems, I'll just address one of them, uh, is uh, scoping issues. So what will happen is that normally in design, what can happen, especially for beginners, but even it happens in professionals amongst professional teams, I've had that happen, <laughs> is that what you'll do is you'll come across a problem, and it may be a design problem or seem like a design problem, and you may try to do, you may try to fix the problem using features like let's create this new feature that takes in uh, you know takes care of that and then everything will be solved but in reality what you're doing is you're just adding more complexity to the game or design or any whatever it is and that can open up other problems later on that you might not even see and it it has lots of ramifications and uh, as a designer uh your responsibility is keep all these systems in your mind. And if someone's like, we'll just do this small change. And then you're like, well, we can do that. And I'll destroy everything because it has all these repercussions and ramifications. So what you can try to do is I would ask myself these questions. How important is the 
problem, like the thing that I'm trying to address, like if it's a game mechanic, how important is this game mechanic to the actual game? If the game is about jump man and the mechanic is jumping and we're having a problems with jumping, then problem then probably we need to try to figure solve this problem. But if it's a secondary mechanic, um, you can say, could I actually cut this and still make the game or would it make the game any better? Can I scope down instead of scoping up? Can I cut features instead of adding features? That's very, very difficult to do. Um, so instead of saying like, well, he has a problem jumping, let's make a rocket pack and that will help the solution. <laughs> well, that ends up destroying the lever design in some other place and they have to create spikes on the ceiling now because he has a rocket pack. So instead of thinking that way, say, how can I scope down um, this so that uh, there's less problems that I have to address? Uh, and if it's important to the game, then yeah, you have to work through them and ask questions. And one other thing that you'll hear if, you, if you're if you getting started is killing your darlings. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is a thing that you'll hear yeah, yeah. if you haven't yeah. heard it before. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. You have to be able to, you have to be willing to kill your darlings. And you may suddenly realize that you can't make Jump Man. And Jump Man is now Crawl Man. But it's actually a much <laughs> yeah. better game. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to not have these horse blinders kind of all, or tunnel vision like mm. it must be this thing. So if you mm. suddenly come across something unique that's not exactly what it is and you're in a situation where you are allowed to explore that, you might want to go down that route. So that's kind mm. of my long generalized, if Emmy wants to say mm. anything on, on top of it. I wonder if I can add more, much to that. Like, I think design in general is solving problems every day. That's, that's what you're just doing, like solving problems, solving problems. So it's really hard to think of like one specific thing mm. that I've done that just like turned the game like uh, from upside down to right side up. Mm. Uh, I honestly can. Most of the problems that you solve as a designer are just like very small improvements. Mm -hmm. Like uh, if you manage to improve anything by like more than 10%, that's amazing. That's enormous. Exactly. <laughs> like, I should try to uh, aim for, like, a 5% improvement on whatever it is, like, ARPU or retention or whatever. I know I'm going to get less than that, but that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. Because if you aim for the 1% changes, like, it's you're really going to get nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> my point is that it's... it's Game design is solving problems, and it, you're just going to be doing that all the time. And you just have to, like talk with people and find out what they think the solution is like maybe they have thought about things you haven't thought of you can also look at other games and see what they're doing you can also like john said just like cut the feature completely and see if the game is better without it one thing that uh you actually yep. brought up which was excellent was like arpu uh, i sound foreign arpu, arpu. <laughs> but uh arpu or, or any of these like metrics and stuff that I, I totally ignored was that again you're in a business mm. the those decisions might be based around metrics and yeah. things like that where we have to keep this or we need to adjust this to make these numbers go in a certain way and unfortunately you might have to make design decisions based around mm. those things mm -hmm. so that's also something you need to keep in mind at least as like well. on free to play normally if, if your design decision doesn't help improve a metric like whether it's retention or engagement or um or monetization like why are you doing it if if you can't measure it then it's probably not really impacting your game much and you're just adding complexity mm. yeah totally yeah it makes sense okay 
Arash, um, you have a traditional art background, and I was wondering, how have you found that it's benefited you with game design? Do you, do you ever kind of utilize those skills? Yeah, I would say definitely. Um, one, one quick thing that I, I'd like to actually point out is that uh, anybody can actually be a designer. I see everybody as designers. It doesn't have to always be... Um, you know, you have to have a certain type of background to be a designer. I've met people that, for example, uh, one project that I worked on in Chuck, um, the other designer who was the lead on that project, um, Stefan, uh, who, Stefan Ingblom, who works now in um, Supercell mm-hmm. as their designer, uh, he has his background, I think, in accounting or something for like nine years or mm-hmm. something like this. And then my background was in the arts. And it was kind of nice because when we worked together i was like okay you handle the system balancing stuff i'll handle this stuff with the arts team and so on and things like that um but one thing that was actually interesting bringing up dchuck uh we sat down with the designers we would have these design meetings i think there was like 13 of us i don't know how many but how many there were we had several teams there with different designers and um we were one day i remember talking about the different ways that designers would document information like design documents and and so on so that uh and how they shared that information because we were using jira and some other things and everybody had their own way i for example mm. would open like uh, stefu uh, would open up like he would have spreadsheets open and then i would have illustrator or photoshop open and i would create basically like all these images with uh, with lines and little bits of text. And then other people would just be writing a whole mess of stuff like paragraphs of in- information. And what we found out uh, or kind of what we agreed on or discovered was kind of trying to be as visual as possible and descriptive as possible visually. And then they have that saying, a picture tells or says a thousand words, tells a thousand. I'm horrible with quotes. uh, (laughs) And I don't even know who said that. So hopefully they're dead so they can't sue me. But um, it's a a lot easier to grasp versus text because the text in someone's mind, all of us will generate a different image. So we were kind of tried to spend more time making things visual Mm -hmm. And when it came down to like text, then it was like tables, charts, numbers, values. That's where we would try to do more text things. So I would say that communicating ideas visually, having that background in the arts was a lot easier because I could quickly just draw up. uh, For example, if I'm talking with someone on the art team or even with a programmer, I'd be like, here's the car. And it just helps if it actually looks like a damn car versus like here's just a circle with another circle in a box. Uh, And then since I have enough skills, I could really sit down with a team and like, for example, I did 3D modeling. So when I when I would sit down with our team, who this was actually our first project doing 3D modeling, I could go and look at the UVs and be like, this is a bad job, guys. Like, we can do this in a different way or this is better. Or like, hey, you could fold it this way. So I literally could pass on some of my own skills and advice that I that I had and I could say like I want it to look like this way I could create storyboards mood boards you know make adjustments and things and especially from games uh well they're very visual 
Of course, yes, there's some text-heavy yes. things, but it's what you see. The programmers are making all the pretty pictures move around, and then the mm -hmm. artists are, of course, we're making them move around as well, if I'm looking at from an artist's point of view. But um, they're communicating a lot of things, and having that ability makes my life so much easier when mm -hmm. communicating an idea versus saying, like the old text-based games, you're in a room, and you look, there's a window. Like, you know, yeah. it's yeah, not... Yeah. It's not as powerful, I would say. Yeah. So communicates quicker. Yeah. 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 Um, moving on. So Emil, can, can you give us some insights into why you think Angry Birds brand has been so successful since you've worked on the franchise during quite a few of the games in terms of game design? This is actually the question that I got in my application when I applied to Rovio. Um, Angry Birds is a game that is made for the phone from the ground up. Like, it fits the touchscreen control perfectly. Uh, this Linkshot mechanic, it's it's brilliant. It's very intuitive. It's really fun to do. Like, it's so satisfying. You just, like, drag your bird, and then you let go, and uh, you fling it. And uh, then you, on the other side, you have the pigs and the blocks, and the bird is flying there, and you have this chaos simulator that's so satisfying when you see everything fall over. And to make that work, you just have to like drag your finger and let go. Like uh, a one-year-old can play that game. Mm -hmm. I mean, not successfully probably, but they can have fun with it because yes. there's like so many things going on. There's like so many satisfying elements to the game itself. Um, and Angry Birds has morphed from that. Uh, now they're like a bigger brand, and now there's Angry Birds 2. They have like RPG mechanics and whatnot. And I think while well, the game is obviously making more money because they charge more than 99 cents for a download, uh, they've lost a lot of what they used to have, like the charm, like the, the kind of game that everyone could just go and play it. Like, I think if you give the game to like a, like a really uh, young child, they're obviously going to prefer the, the first one because it's, uh, it's way easier to do. Maybe not obviously, but that, that's, what, mm. that's my intuition. And that's what I've seen also from other kids. Yeah. But uh, as a brand, Angry Birds has just uh, exploded. I guess it because it was in everyone's phone at the time, and Rovio did a really good job of uh, growing the brand while it was on everyone's minds, and now it just became a staple. So good job, Rovio. So this is a question for both of you. So what's your favorite traditional board game um, regarding game design, and why? I, <laughs> I thought about this long and hard. Uh, Monopoly. Why? Because objectively, it's a horrible game. It, it's really bad. It's <laughs> I, I always I lost hate Monopoly. Monopoly. No one should it enjoy. Me. No one should enjoy playing Monopoly. <laughs> but uh, people still do, and I think yeah. it's more than just nostalgia, right? Mm, like uh, mm. even like Richard Garfield, he defends Monopoly. Like he has mm. Monopoly has like really good moments sometimes, right? Mm. Like I think like the board it's empty at the beginning, and then you just like start and you claim it. Mm. So you're changing the board procedurally. You're like mm. generating things in it. Mm. And uh, it's really satisfying to fill that board up. Mm. What after everyone has bought everything, Monopoly is just like a grind down. It's just mm. it's not as fun. Mm. But you also get to be like really evil. You get to be a jerk to your friends and family, <laughs> and I think people enjoy that. <laughs> so for me, Monopoly is like a lesson of of how can you take like something that's like bad and like still enjoy it. And there's like many design lessons to learn from Monopoly of like what to do and what not to do and also how a bad game can become successful. 
Also, as a side note, I don't know if everyone knows that Monopoly was supposed to illustrate like the bad thing about monopolies. Like it used to have like two sets of rules. I like, see. One yeah. was mm. where you would play as just like as a landlord, where you would just take over everything, and the other one was like a more like a shared community. Like whenever people would uh, build, like it would com- uh, benefit the community. But obviously, people like the being the jerks. Like it's more fun to be a jerk in a board game than to actually like make a community and yeah. share your resources. Like what's that? Um, what's a board game? That's not a real game. That's uh, uh, yeah. That's actually what my students say because I um, the first like my my classes are about one year long and the first. Four to six months, I don't even let them touch the computers, so they're like really frustrated. So, yeah, so we're doing like paper prototyping and board games and stuff because uh, systems are. It's much easier to control a system and see a system within a board game. So, uh, I push them very hard as hard <laughs> as I can. The one that I've, um, I, I, I had started with. Um, African Tahti, uh, actually. It's a classic <laughs> game, African Tahti, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> uh, but, like but that's not my favorite game. Sorry, uh, that's just more because you're in Finland and it's a, almost yeah. a guarantee that, like, when you're born, they, like, hand that box to the baby and they're like, get used to this, you know. Uh, but but um, what I'm, that was only the first year. And the, the cool thing with the, those were that the, it's really cheap, so they would mm. use the piece on making other games from them I see. but but yeah. um, in my favorite game that I use uh, is Carcassonne yes. um, and I like it actually because it's a gateway drug to other games yeah. other board games mm-hmm. because the rules are really 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 simple so if you've never played you don't have to be a designer I actually tell my students that when they start like you think you might want to be a designer but you might not you, and that's okay if you don't, you know, you, it's okay to leave this class if you realize that playing games and making games are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, from a board game perspective, anybody can quickly learn. It's really cool because um, you're kind of building a world. Uh, I wouldn't say it's procedurally generated, but you're kind of a building a world as you play. The rules are really simple, but there is actually a lot of strategy in the game once you figure it out. And you can actually be evil in the game too. Uh, I know because I played with friends. You can even do like bidding, like, hey, if you don't put that piece there, I won't put my piece here. And then later somebody's like, no, no, I changed my mind. And then you're stuck. So there's a lot of strategy and it leaves room for expansions as well. They have different expansions. So you already got DLC built into your, uh, you know, your board game. So there's a lot of different aspects uh, of things that you can uh, learn from it. And then the other kind of cool thing, what I do is I start them off with, with Karakasan and why I like it. It's easy to kind of reskin and retheme. And I'm like, okay, now that you did this, what if it was a different theme, like you're mining asteroids in outer space? What would you do? And, you know, they change the theme and then they can add a mechanic here or there to, you know, so they can quickly see like, oh, this this is how I can make my own games or make things differently. And if I make one little adjustment, how 
big of an impact it can actually have in the game. So that's kind of why I really like that game a lot mm. as an example. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you mentioned like African Tati is not not your favorite <laughs> game. Could you could you sum up in a sentence like why you think it isn't a good game from, from a designer's perspective? Well, like, it's it's not yeah. that it's compl- I've I've seen worse things. Yeah, but yeah. what happens? This is what's happened. I I think I had it for like two years. I mm. used it. Um, is that it's almost like here's there's so much up to just like I'm gonna roll some dice, I'm gonna move my piece, I'm gonna flip a thing over. I have no control over really anything that's happening. I can't really yeah. make too many choices. Yeah. So they're not really learning too much other than just rolling dice, moving a piece, checking if a thing's there. It's right. it's not like w- the old war games where it's like so random. Like you have some choice, yes. but it's very little. Yeah. Um, and then the problem that I've had, and I noticed that, and that's why I've kind of removed it now from the as an example game, mm-hmm. is that... Um, the kids have all played it. Everybody's seen it. Even that's kind of why Monopoly is a little too complex for some of the... They can be from 12 to 19-year-olds, so it can be kind of difficult. Uh, and also, I, the late game in Monopoly is a problem. Yeah, like two guys are fighting, and yeah, then seven yeah. guys are watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, the problem is that when I ask them to create their own games, they all just replicate... Uh, like. I have a piece, I roll a dice, mm. I move a thing, oh, I see. and that's it. Yeah. And they don't learn anything other. They think this is what board games are. You roll mm. a dice, you move, that's you true. pick up a thing, and that's mm. it. But okay. Carcassonne is so out there, it's not a board game. Where's your board? Mm. Your your board doesn't even exist when you start playing. You Actually, your board in Carcassonne exists when the game is over because now you've laid all the pieces down. Now there's your board. So all of these traditional things with board games, for example, that we've all grown up shoots and ladders, snakes and ladders, whatever it's called, Monopoly, uh, Sorry. uh, They have a board. Here's the board. Put it down. Put the pieces on. Roll the dice. It always follows the same thing over and over and over and over. Carcassonne removed all those things. There's no dice. Actually, unfortunately, nowadays, it's almost... I don't like it because I think d- dice have a lot of other uses other than just randomness uh, that people are trying or fate or whatever. But it's almost like faux pas. If you bring, I've made a couple games with dice and mm. some of these professional, you know, uh, people that play board games, they won't even give your game a chance if they see too many dice in the game. They immediately am like, oh yeah, that has dice in it. I don't want to know. So it kind of got a bad rap. I would say, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and there's still a lot you can do with them. So this kind of removes all those traditional things that people have grown up with in board games and does it totally in a different way, in an easy way, and lets you kind of experience new things. So I, I think that's why that I don't, uh, you know, nothing against Finland that's or fu- your, you <laughs> know, your, enough, your yeah. epic game or whatever it is, yes, but... Yeah. You know, that's as a Design. designer using yes, it for a yeah. teaching tool. Yes, it has a. It's very limited. Yeah, that's my long explanation. Yeah, if someone has a passion for game design but is on a limited budget and not currently in a school, what would you recommend to them? Is the best way to learn the principles of game design? And uh, we'll start with Emil. I think the short answer for this is just make games. It's There's like so many tools nowadays that are either like free or really cheap and easy to learn that allow you to make, make games. Uh, the longer answer is, hey, if you want to read a book on game design, read The Art of Game Design by Jesse Schell. That's like the one really good book for that. 
if you want to improve uh, as a game designer, I think being more analytical of the games that you play, like um, not just staying in your comfort zone and playing many things and also like analyzing why you like this game, why don't you like this game, what mechanics work in this game, just like trying to like dissect everything that you play will make you a better game designer. And well, once again, make games because if you don't have any games in your portfolio, you're not gonna go anywhere. Yeah, I was uh, the same book. <laughs> Get that book. There's another one. Um, uh, yeah, it's challenges for game challenges designers. for game designers. It's really weird. Don't worry. I mean, the authors know what they're talking about. Um, and uh, but don't worry about that. Just know that in there, there's a lot of challenging examples, and mm -hmm. that's a good thing. So if you don't know, it explains the basic mechanics and then says, "Now here's your." task to do and uh, uh so it gives you a lot a lot of these types of tasks and work and assignments and i think that a lot of people when they're trying to learn they're not really good at motivating themselves so this kind of gives you example but you don't have to do this this is just like extra credit the the main one is the exact one the art of game design by jesse shell or whatever the exact t name is a if book you, of cards like yeah a book, book of, of lenses. lenses a book of lenses yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a free app on the iphone and whatever that has the actual lenses and i'm sure if you search you might be able to find it somehow um uh the other thing exactly what emil said was Everything's free. There's so many free tools. Uh, one thing not to forget, and we kind of touched upon it earlier, games were longer, I call them analog games, not digital games, but games <laughs> were non-digital longer than they were digital. Um, uh, actually, my mom was showing me this uh, game in Afghanistan with bones where they got dice from actually their bones but oh, they were yeah, actual yeah. bones like yes. she's like oh you got one of those bones <laughs> uh, you know from the edge of from the end of like a chicken wing or something and and she said like um you need this many of these and then she was explaining like you would it depending on how it falls it means a very specific thing and you need to get these combinations mm -hmm. and and she was explaining this whole thing just around that bone mm -hmm. so and think about how old that is we're yes, talking about yeah. bones now yeah. so don't forget that uh it's much easier if you got paper and pencil mm -hmm. great if you don't Go kill a couple animals, <laughs> collect their bones. But like you can make games from okay. sticks and rocks and writing in dirt. Like yeah, and yeah. if you really, really jump back, if you if you do end up reading the Jesse Shell book and, and some other ones, they talk about what a game really is. We could go on forever. Yeah. But it's actually play and making rules and all of these other things. So there's kids that are just out in the forest running around playing and making up games and rules and how they change and it impacts. And that's making a game. And you can do all those things for free. Yeah. Uh, so, it, But if not, you can have a pencil and paper. And I recommend those first. I actually recommend those before anything digital because if I'm making a tank game, it's much easier to make a tank, like make a grid have a tank, yeah, I could use dice if I want or some way for range and movement. And I'm like, I need another tank or I need the tank to go six squares instead of five. Well, now I can just literally move my hands and do that. Not now let me go open up the code or 
go in whatever block and make these changes. Like you immediately do it, you make a decision, just like play, and then you see what are the repercussions. And then once you got your game nice and you know, you can consider it paper prototyping, once you get it to the way you really, really, really like it, it might already be done. But if not, then you can go and try to, you work out the kinks, you know, and then go digital. So there's all the tools out there. I'm positive if you do any search in Google, you'll come across them. But don't forget the game design thing. And the more of those you have, the better, just like Emil said, with uh, your portfolio. And I'll give you one hint. If you walk into a gaming company and... Of course you show them digital stuff, but if you show them completed board games, mm. it's so impressive. It's very <laughs> impressive. You okay. will, you good will, tip. Yeah. that is the very, very good tip. The designers there will be like, whoa, yeah. guys, <laughs> let's play this. He's now. <laughs> one of us. Let's play it now. Like they will already know because they yeah. say, Hey, he understands that desi- or she, mm. please remember, <laughs> yeah. or whatever mm. you want to say. Mm. I'm not limiting anyone can be a designer. Mm. They will say that they understand that it's about systems. It's about these rules. It's about interaction of things. It's about economies and balances and things. It's not just about what you see. It's about how things interact with each other. Um and they will know that if you can make a really good board game or card game or anything non-digital game, they then definitely you can make uh, make a, a good digital game. You just need the experience. And especially if you can say that I made this with other people as well. So mm. I, you know, I, that's also really powerful. That's so idea. that's a very important. Yeah. Tip so you have the team kind of uh, aspect. You can work with exactly. others. Exactly. Yeah. My friends yeah. and I did this, and I did this part of yeah. it. Yeah. And as long as it's like, I put periods at the end of every sentence, well, that's not really good. But if you show like, I handled this part of the system, and then if you can explain, say like, we really had a problem with this, and this is how we solved it, Mm -hmm. and that's why our game is this way now versus this way, Yes. huge, huge brownie points. Like, I guarantee you, you're going to the top of my list. Yes. I agree with that. So, we're Uh, not hiring, but just in case. (laughs) Uh, aside of that is that aside from uh, bones and also paper and uh, game engines, there's also game editors. Like um, I started with a uh, Warcraft three. That was like the first maps that I made, and I also made games for Super Meat Boy, and I put those in my portfolio. And I learned so much by trying to replicate what those games were doing, in um, with my own maps. Yeah. Definitely don't forget a lot of those those engines or Unreal. I mean, a lot of them come with their own stuff. Yeah. And there's also these in-between engines. Please don't remember. I mentioned coding earlier. There's visual like mm. in, in, in I, I leave my students complete hands uh, 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 like they can choose whatever engine they want. And then I tell them, don't think that I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to try to troubleshoot if you have a problem. But uh uh, there's visual, you could call them block or whatever modules and, and yeah. things like that. For Unity, there's one. I forgot the name exactly. of that. Otherwise yeah, yeah. well, there's another one. Actually, well, there's some other companies that are releasing stuff. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them <laughs> right now. That Those are the main, I would say, yeah. So I had a question for you both. So if I gave you a pack of playing cards and two dice and asked you to make a new game out of that, where would you start? How would you think about starting to concept a game idea from that first take out the dice because otherwise no one will want to play that game <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, i'm joking but like uh, the first thing i would do is just um, 
honestly think about the games that already exist. Like they mm-hmm. exist for a reason and they're played for a reason. So they're a good base to start with. Mm-hmm. And then after that, just try to like combine like a dice game and a card game and see what works. Or just like modify rules on one of those games and also see what works. Just like tinkering with those ideas. I think it's rare for me to start from the, from scratch, like with. Ah, <laughs> oh, so you'd build up upon an existing game exactly. and just modify some. Yeah, mechanic. or just remove that. Or just like think okay. of them as a, a, as yeah. examples. Like we don't design yeah. games in a vacuum. Like yes. we have like a mm. cultural understanding of what games are, like what works and mm. what doesn't. So it's usually good to start with the base, in my opinion. Yes. I don't know what John thinks. You don't have right. to rebuild the, <laughs> rebuild the wheel, as I, right. I, I agree with yeah. him. Okay, if you're going to make games from the very beginning and you're a complete beginner, that's the very best way, is take what already exists and twist it slightly. Make a small change. Mm. See what are repercussions of that change. Did it make your game better? Did it make it worse? Yeah. Um, if you are, uh, have a little bit more time on your hands, uh, you can start that way. And then also really think about what are the mechanics or what are the uh, things that uh, a cards can afford me? Like what are the game mechanics tied to a card? Or what are the things that I can do with a card? Uh, so for example, a card uh, has a picture on it. It might have a number. It might have different symbols on it. It has a king or a queen or a jack or whatever or a joker. Um, uh, and uh, it has a certain shape. It's square, rectangular, whatever you want to say, four-sided. And same thing with dice. Dice, depending if we're talking just six-sided dice. And yeah. then say like, okay, what does that afford me? other than just what you normally would do. If you're a beginner, normally we're going to say like, okay, I'll just roll some dice. That's how many cards I can play. And then something that's like that. Usually the first thing that comes to your mind is crap just to tell you. (laughs) So, so get that out of the way first and then say, now that I got it out, what can I do? So is there a way that I can, uh, and this is not just in uh, like like even in digital games that the best thing you can do is how can i use this object in many different ways for many different purposes can i for example take all the cards i have and then use them to build out like in Carcassonne back again that yes. oh i can lay these out in this way and they can connect in a certain way and now i've built this world that the dice the dice are actually could be pieces as well like they could be even little characters and the little dots on them could represent other things they can represent the hit points of the characters they can represent some other type of meaning the cards themselves could have not just be the environment that you walk on but certain things that happen that get triggered when you walk on them and when you walk on them there might be a number if i roll the dice if it matches the number on there some other thing can occur so it's not just about pulling a card and rolling a dice it's about building a world with it building a story building a theme and there's two things that i i there's probably many different ways but i i tell people that there's two major ways the way i think of creating a game there's a from a thematic angle and from a mechanic angle so if you want to if you're having problems try to think of a theme if it's easier for you and for example cards have a royalty you know attached to it so there's already a theme but you can come up and say like okay these are magicians they're casting spells 
And what does that put in your mind? Oh, the the dice are like the mana or the gems or something that I can use. It's like a resource. And then if, or you can think from the mechanic perspective, what does dice give me the ability to do? I roll it, it gives me a value. What can I do with these values? Is the actual rolling, like the rolling mechanic. Uh, and does that, can I somehow build a game from that angle that I can attach a theme to? So it's kind of like, uh, what's what direction can you go build from? Um, I just give you another quick example because it's still a little confusing. I had a friend um, that uh, he designed a mobile game where there was a dot on the screen. You would touch the screen, there would be a little dot, and the dot would fall down towards the bottom of the screen. And then he would draw a line, like he would swipe his finger and it would draw a line. And when the dot hit that line, the dot would uh, fly into the direction of the line that he drew. And he's like, hey, I have a dot, I have a line, I have no idea what this is or what to do with it. What can we do? And what I did was that I made a, a, a kite uh, game out of it where there's the dot is actually a kite. The line you draw is the mm. wind. And you can control the direction of the kite using wind. And Very you simple. would use it to collect different things in the world. You couldn't directly control the kite. So basically, we took a mechanic and attached a theme. Versus if he's like, I want to make a game about a kite. What kind of mechanics could we do? It might not work. You might come mm -hmm. up with something yeah. totally different. That's interesting. You're so, taking a completely different approach than what I do. Yeah. Like you deconstruct everything to the very base of it and then think of a theme yeah. and then build upon it. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I'm happy that you say that because this goes back to what I was saying is that anybody can be the designer. You just have to think. It doesn't mean because you think in a certain way that's not going to work or that's the wrong way or that's the right way. It doesn't matter. Just as long as you're able to get to something mm. It's creative problem yeah. solving. As long as you're able to get to something interesting, mm. because this is entertainment at so the end mean, of the day. Yes. As long as it's true. entertaining yeah. at the end of the day, it doesn't really yeah. matter how you got to it. I want to, like, so. the, the way I like to design is, uh, like I said before, I like combining things. Yeah. And then I, li I like killing the darlings. I exactly. Like, I like designing by <laughs> subtraction. Yeah. I like just like chipping away until you have like something more yeah. pure. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's excellent. Yeah. And that's a very valid like method. And I would actually recommend that if you're starting from zero, uh, um, that is probably a much, much better mm. way, in my opinion, because you can take you can say like, oh, I'll take the game Dig Dug, which many of you may not have ever heard Pac-Man. <laughs> I'll take the game Pac-Man. And what can I do to take Pac-Man? What are the base mechanics behind it? And what is the small little twist or change I can take to make it a little bit different? And what are the repercussions? And then I make another mm -hmm. change. And now I'm going to take this other game that I like and add that what happens. I think you can come up with, well, you have Crypt of the Necrodancer, yeah. basically. <laughs> so you're like, look for really, they're called, they can be called hooks. There's an excellent article by the... Um, what is his name? Oh, my God, I should know his name. It's right on the tip of my tongue. But the gentleman that created the game, he... he uh, Crypt of Necrodancer. Um, okay, I, I apologize. I forgot <laughs> your name because I should know your name right now. It's right on the tip of my tongue. But there's an article that he's written on Gama Sutra. If you guys don't know about Gama Sutra, Gama with a G, <laughs> uh, look that up. It's basically about games. Uh, and all the whole business and everything, design, art, and... Ryan and Clark? Ryan Clark, yes. We should know because we're friends with him on Twitch. 
as oh, really? well. So that kind cool. of is dumb that I forget your name. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, He's but, not gonna uh, listen to this. Yeah, of course he'll never <laughs> listen to this. But um, but he talks about developing hooks. So you create mm. really good hooks. Look for hooks. So what's the hook in the game? What is that thing that makes it unique and fun and interesting? And try to make a game that has mm. many good hooks that work well together. And that's when you have something that's hooky or whatever you want to say. It's it's addictive. Just People like storytelling. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that's my. Yeah, but it's really cool that we have different ways to do it. Yeah, I think that's very beneficial also for listeners that they can you know hear how how you approach different types of design and how you think about it. So great. So moving on, so what what are common faults that you see um, with junior design applicants, and how do you think they should be avoided? So when people apply to jobs as junior designers the kind of faults that you've actually seen yourselves before or even junior design uh, designers in education as well it can be that do, do you, you want me to say one? i have you one thing say. yeah that's it's halo with better balanced guns or, more, or <laughs> something or, but better yeah yeah something but that better halo game. or battlefield or <laughs> you know modern warfare it's like yeah but the gun because uh, what happens is the very first thing i ask uh, my students when they come in like what's your favorite game and why mm. yeah and they always say like you know minecraft mm. or battlefield or whatever whatever like some first person shooter and then i say why and they're like because of the gun balancing oh yeah. and i'm that just like okay that's kind of <laughs> cool yeah so what else like tell me something else uh and uh there was an interview uh actually uh, when i was in d chuck they were talking about a, a person that came in and all they did was talk about they didn't get the job but all they talked about was what was wrong with Halo and why they could make Halo better. And it was all about the gun balance. So it's literally like I can take an existing uh, IP or intellectual property and because I can balance the guns better, which can be done on a patch anyway by the actual company, I somehow am able to, you know, make a better game and it will make my company successful and rich. Like it yeah. just, it's, mm. they're living in a kind of, uh, in a dream world. So yes. I think that's the biggest problem. Like don't come in to a job interview and even bring up a first person shooter and gun balancing. <laughs> they're just, they're, they'll just immediately be like, all right, whatever, dude. Like don't, don't do that. But if you do bring in a game, I mean, you can criticize mm. games. You can be like, mm. well, I hate Monopoly. And the reason I hate Monopoly is because after two hours, there's only two people playing and everybody else has to wait around, Yeah, you know, and then they're like, oh, okay, so there's a reason. And then you explain and then but here's the catch. You can't stop there. Then you need to say, but this is how I would handle that solution. And that's the most important thing. So I would say that beginning designers, it's great you come in and you criticize games, but have a. A, a, a re, like a, 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 an answer to that criticism that's one then the other thing is if you're going to go work in a damn company at least know about the games that the company makes and at least try playing them because they're going to ask you so mm. what game of ours do you like like yeah. why do you want to work here what do you like about it and then they're also going to ask you what's something that you could do better about one of those games yeah. 
And they're gonna, they'll be okay. You can't say, like, it's crap. I don't like it. It's yeah. not fun. Like, those aren't answers. Say, like, I really like this, but there seems to be a balancing problem with one of these, uh, you know, units and whatever. And then say, but, and if you're really smart, you can still put it back in their favor, but say, but I'm sure, you know, because of production reasons or something else, that's probably why it's that way. So you've kind of yes. like said there's a problem, you acknowledged it, you proposed a solution, but at the same time you've accepted it. Very powerful. These are like super brownie points for you to get mm -hmm. a job. Super promise. That's very good things to know. I'll take it back one step. Like when reading <coughs> resumes, I was hiring interns for Rovio. So I had to go through all of the hundreds of resumes. And uh, when you're going through so many resumes, you're actually just looking for any excuse to discard them. Uh, which is why I do a lot. So well, this is one of the petty things that I do. If someone sends me a Word document, uh, there's unless unless it looks really good, I'm very likely not going to open that. Like I'm going to discard it because I don't have Word on my on my whole computer because I just use Google Docs. But anyway, that's that's a that's a side. Not everyone is as petty as me. So what should they do? PDF. PDF. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I forgot Tell to give the, the answer. Yeah, of course, the solution is PDF, always PDF, or just like the in the tools that the system has. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is if you don't have any game-related uh, internships or any games that you've made, you just tell me, hey, I want to be a game designer because I like games. I'm just not going to read them more. I'm just going to discard it. Um, so the people who have gotten through me are people who send me nice resumes that are well designed. This is important because a designer communication is important. So if your resume is just like a, a word document with just words and like the information is presented like really badly, I am going to judge you there, like even there as a designer. I don't mean that you have to be a graphic designer and uh, make everything pretty. I just want you to present information in a way that is smart. So. I'm already judging you then. Then after that, I look at your portfolio. And if you have uh, games, just having games, I'm, we'll just look at the screenshots. I'm not going to go and download your whatever you used to develop the game with game. I'm just going to look at it, look at the screenshots, see what you did, uh, what kind of team you work with. And just having games is good. Then uh, if you seem like a nice person, <laughs> I might even go and like, look at you on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, the thing is, people like working with nice people or people that they, uh, I mean, most people would rather work with uh, someone who's like uh, super nice and capable than someone who's like really capable and just a jerk. So it's it's hard to judge people like that. But if, if there's like any red flags, then maybe I will put them at the bottom of the pile. And then after that, people will get interviewed. And at the interview, that's like very subjective, I think. Um, I think being charming is important for a game designer just like being able to once again communicate and speak and be somewhat eloquent and uh well i'm not very eloquent myself to be honest i get nervous everyone does uh during interviews so don't worry about that but just like showing that you're thinking about what you're saying and uh you're thinking into account but anyway, I feel like uh, just like being like a human being who communicates is very important. Yeah, and like like you said, the teamwork is yeah, really teamwork essential, is, is isn't terrible. it? I mean, it's for any any role really, isn't it? Especially in games like yeah. the because you're so tightly, for example, in the art side, you're very tied to communicating with the programmer a lot and that kind of thing. So you mm -hmm. have to really have those team skills, and you you can't have a 
a huge ego, can yeah. you? In exactly. Those jobs, yeah, because people just just won't want to work with you. There's so, a yeah. we had like this applicant at Robbie who was uh, is a famous indie designer from Finland. Not saying any names because I don't even remember it. But anyway, he applied to our internship, saying like, yeah, I have like uh, the skills to be a senior already, so I can uh, I can just like do that or like be the assistant to a senior designer. And uh, uh, then uh, I just stopped there because the guy sounded like a sociopath. But uh, my friend who was also hiring, he actually sent him the test. And the test was just like, he was asking uh, feedback on Angry Birds Friends. And all he did was just like bash on the game. Like, yeah, I will do this and this and this and this. Like, not just being a, like an amateur designer, just like uh, <laughs> what John said. And not really thinking through like why things are that way. And that's a way to not get a job even if you have a really good portfolio. I got my foot in the door through another position. We had mentioned that earlier. And uh, that's a really good way to get in. Like you give the, you're really upfront to the people that like, this is what I'm interested in. So you get your foot in the door. You have to put in your time and effort. I was very lucky because my supervisor also happened to be uh I read his entire PhD work oh, yeah. for my my master's thesis work, like for my master's level degree stuff. We had to study his work, so I had a slight unfair advantage. Um, and what had happened was when I saw that they were just hiring lots of designers, I said like, hey, I kind of, you know, have a degree, master's kind of thing. Uh, maybe I could do it. And And then what happened was just one day he's like, okay, look, here's a job here's a task i need you to do i need you to design this game for me but the problem is you're not allowed to do it during work hours so what i ended up doing was i would go and work my eight hours or seven hours then i would go home and then work till midnight every night for two weeks coming up with this design and then i gave it off to back to him and of course, I knew he was reading it, and all of my foundation in design studies were based around how he thought in mm. design work. So it was very easy for me to understand what he was looking for. Um, and then what happened was, at the end, he was like, this is great. Welcome. Like, congratulations. You're now the designer of this project. This is the design document of our project. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And then, well, we ended up like completely trashing the document and going in a different direction. That always happens. <laughs> it always yeah. happens. Yeah. But, uh, but that was just kind of, I didn't even know I was kind of getting into, that was the responsibility that yeah. was going to follow yeah. me. But the thing is that uh, what I'm trying to push forward is that you never know what's going to happen or the opportunities that are going to be given to you. So yeah. you kind of have to pay attention for those. But if you're not humble, yeah. if you're arrogant, um, you are going to miss those opportunities. If you walk around just constantly thinking, criticizing, thinking you're better than people and you know everything, you're going to miss all those. You're not going to know that, oh, wait, I could say this. Instead, you would, in that case, a, a situation, if I thought that way, I'd be like, they're hiring all these people. They don't even know what they're doing. I'm much better than them. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. Like, you'll never even, instead of yeah. saying like, hey, guys, I, I would really like to pursue this. I w would really like an opportunity. If there is another position that's opened up, can I at least be given a chance to be tested for that? Like if you talk this way, if you're nice to people, it's, it's back to like what Emil said about being nice. If you're nice to people, people are inherently not. There's yeah. research done <laughs> that people are nice. 
the majority of time, they'll make the right decisions, they'll do the honest thing, and they'll try to help you. Hmm. So as long as you're nice to people, chances are they'll be nice back to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Other so. side note is like um, after the after the after seeing your CV, if they like you, they will send you a test. Yeah. Don't half-ass the test. Like I, I half-ass tests. Not a good idea. Uh, the job that I've gotten was because I really aced the test. So like, take it really seriously. Like, spend as much time as you can with it, and make sure you are sending like a perfect work. It's really, really important. Yeah. Especially for our, uh, well, for anything. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very. They're very critical. And here's the thing. I, I. <sighs> Even though I found out that like sociopaths like this song, the the Eminem song, the "Lose Yourself" song, actually they found out that there's a connection between sociopath sociopaths and that song. But anyway, but there's a line that he says like this is basically that one chance. Or I'm again I'm horrible with the quotes or the line or the lyrics. But if this is your one chance, this one opportunity that you have, are you gonna take it or are you gonna like let it slip? Through your hands and that's the thing when you've applied for i know in the beginning you're really desperate and you're kind of shotgunning all the companies but you should really think mm. like treat every single one like yes i do want this job i do want to work there and really make everything stand out you got to take the time on your cv make sure there's no common spellings because emmy is going to throw it out if you just the basic stuff they're like well not good enough they're going to go out because they receive hundreds of them uh, those things on the desk you have to think how can i differentiate myself how can i make myself stand out and it comes down to your portfolio for not just designers, but for artists, but for programmers, like, oh, here's an inventory system I created, uh, you know, using this thing. It doesn't matter what you did it in. The point is that you did it, you finished it, it's done. Mm. And you have many of those to show. That will differentiate you. That's the most important thing yeah. I would say. I have another other advice. Yeah. Uh, network, if you can, <clears throat> like going to IGDA or whatever. Uh, sure, sorry, uh, the last, this, um, designer trainee that I hired, well, I didn't hire her, like, you know, I helped hire. Uh, I was looking through her CV, I was not too impressed, and I was actually thinking of discarding her, but I saw that she was uh, friends with a friend of mine on LinkedIn. And it was like, okay, like, oh, they, sh um, they know each other, I can go ask, uh, I'll just put her on the, on the list, I'm not discarding her, and she ended up getting the job in the end. Okay. So just because of that yeah. one LinkedIn connection, she got the job. Yeah. LinkedIn. I knew somebody that couldn't get a job and I said, so what's your LinkedIn? So I can, and they're like, I don't use that. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it's a business. You need to use what business people use. So you should make one of those. You should have a website. If you're an artist and you're paranoid, I think it's hard. even with designers, no one's going to steal your stuff. Ever. No one cares. <laughs> no. We don't care. Your ideas are worthless. It doesn't matter. If I gave two people the same design document, they'll make two separate games. Mm. It doesn't matter. But if you're really paranoid, you can put your, you know, beautiful, super life changing work behind a, a portal or like something with a password. But you need to have your work accessible online. Sorry, you can't send in tons of stuff. Our desks are not unlimited in size that we have tons of portfolios that we have stacks and stacks of stuff. So there has to be a quick way. The very first thing, even though there might be kind of, I don't want to say it's illegal that people look you up online. Countries have different rules and stuff. But if someone is applying, 
I uh, for a position, I'm probably going to do a search for them. I'm probably going to Google. I'm probably going to see what type of artist you are. I did it for Nick even here. Uh -huh. Like, who's this guy? You know, <laughs> what does he know? You know, uh, and then you find out like, oh, okay, he's, he's from that era, you know. So, and then I, I specifically know like, like, okay, this is what the person knows. This is probably their experience. This is the background. Here's the artwork they've probably done. And you can make very, you can make Unfortunately, people will pass judgment on you before they ever meet you. So you have to mm -hmm. get all of those things, put in the time, really put in the effort so that you can get that interview. And then after you get through that interview, if they give you something, you better kill yourself doing well. If Like if you apply for Rovio as an artist and they're like, well, you better be ready to draw some stuff. You better be doing, I, I guess they're using vector. I don't know what they're doing. If you don't know something, you spend that time, that two learning. weeks they give you, if you've never done it, you better kill yourself learning how to do it. And you just don't mm -hmm. sleep for those two weeks because mm -hmm. that opportunity, ask yourself, if I, if I put in the amount of effort now for these two weeks and I can get this job, that's great. I got the job. If I don't get the job, I can at least look myself in the mirror and say, hey, I put in my all. I just didn't get it for whatever reason. But other than that, it's just an excuse. You didn't want it bad enough. Like look at yourself in the mirror and say, I didn't want it bad enough because that's what the truth is. So yeah, it's, it's I agree. It's yeah. definitely hard work. I mean, yeah, doing uh, when you get to the stage where you do a test, any kind of yeah. test, you need to put the effort in, don't they? I guess the the applications that stand out most, would you say, probably are the ones that if they do a test, they put a like hundred and ten percent in, or they go a little bit higher than was expected. What do you think? Or not necessarily. Huh. It's hard to judge, right? Because also when you get a test, that's like um too long at least for me that happens like yeah people need to be concise yeah to be okay. a good game designer you need to be concise so yes. it's, it's yeah. really hard to show that you put 110 percent sometimes yeah i guess from, from our art side it's i guess for for an artist mm. it might it might be visible that they've kind of gone into the world more maybe done ec an extra character or something that, that they weren't yeah. asked to do but i think it's hard to show us yeah for design, the for the yeah. artist yeah. for the artist definitely uh yeah. It might be because, again, a picture is worth a thousand words, mm. so it's much quicker. Yeah. With the design, yeah. I would say if it's a digital one, maybe uh, board games takes a lot longer. Actually, getting into university, I had to make a board game. Oh, really? Yeah, it was crazy and go through essays <laughs> and interviews and stuff. But um, I, I would say like from a design thing that you could – if they go above and beyond, if you can concisely, as Emil said, that say like here's the – like if they say here's the design task or here's a design problem, create this type of thing and this type of economy or this type of situation or how would you handle this, you know. If you can put in a little bit, just a little bit above and beyond and say like this is how it could be solved in this way to get a quick and dirty job. This could be a more elegant way to That's solve way. it, you know, and it would take a little bit more time, but this would be the benefits of going that way. Yeah. Like just showing that you put in just about, you know, you didn't do the bare minimum. You actually tr tried to think it a little bit deeper. Even if you don't know the solution, you could say we would, if we could spend a little mm. bit more time, probably this is a direction we could go, but it would require. The, the people would say like, hey, this person is able to, you know, 
understand that there's more to this than just this. I think, you know, these are really, really like fine details. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, yeah. So if you get yeah. this far, it's already a good thing. Keep applying. Don't be intimidated or, yeah. or, or demotivated that you, if, if you're getting interviews, you're doing something yeah. right. Mm. I was going to say that, like, never get discouraged because it's, it's subjective. <laughs> like, when people hire you, it's completely subjective. Yeah. Mm. There's no, like, um, objective way to judge a designer. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would also say, like, remember... There's many different ways. You mentioned earlier, I had gotten my foot in through a project that I worked in through university. I met a person that was one of the bigger people in the QA department, uh, like quality assurance department in DCHUC. He mentioned the position. He said to apply, you'll put it. So networking is really, really big deal. Emil had said that, um, oh yeah, this is excellent. I almost forgot it and you brought it up. Go to game jams. If you don't have a portfolio, and you don't even know what a portfolio is or you don't you should of course read about that go and go to a game jam because if you uh, have a portfolio of different game jams and you're like hey i made all these during game jams that's excellent because you're working with a team these are new people you've never met before you're given a task you have a limited time there's all of these different aspects uh, 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 you know, you have to work with the team. All of these uh, different aspects of business environment that that you would have to probably go through in real life. That if you can show that here's all these ten games I made from the past game jams, all of these ones that I've done, and work with these different people, it's a huge. It has a huge impact on you know as well. So mm -hmm. that's that's a one way to get experience. Uh, and if you're too far away, if you live in a you know remote village in some place, make your own game jam. Like you can just set yourself some tasks, give yourself a time limit. Say in three days I'm gonna do this thing, and try to keep it really simple, like one mechanic, one action that the player mm -hmm. can take, and then make your next one a little more complex. And then, you know some people do one game a day. Even yeah, it's so you gotta yeah. you give yourselves limitations. Actually, limitations are like your saving grace. They will make your life so much easier. I've worked uh, in a in a gaming workshop where we had to make a board game every single day, and the very first game we had complete freedom. And it was so difficult. And then the very last board game was like so many restrictions. Mm. It was next to impossible. Please. And it was so simple because we know what we can't do. We can't do that. We can't. Well, this is what we can do. So give yourself restrictions. Give yourself restricted time. Give yourself restricted resources and, you know, make games that way and slowly build on them. And that's how you can build up your portfolio that you would use to build your online CV and online portfolio that you would share. How, with how would you recommend uh, designers or juniors who want to get jobs display their work? Did you have a website that you had I links? Think, yeah, I, yeah, everyone should have a website with uh, yeah. their games like listed in, the, in an understandable way. Yeah, and yeah. if they can have a link to the playable game, that's yeah. good. But uh, mm. I think most people would just look at the screenshots to be yeah. honest. Because no one has time to play your games, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. if they're board games. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Yeah. Time to read all the rules. <laughs> then we get six but people. As long as rules. you get the basic idea, a summary. Yes. Like yeah. on my website, which is horrible, but I talk about a game. I have these a card mm. for each game. There's a little description, what the game is, what are the core mechanics in the game. That uh, look those up. You'll figure those out. There's a there's a design language. Learn yeah. what it is. It varies between designers, yeah, but the yeah. overall, it's the, generally the same. 
you need to learn the language of of you know design actually of game industry even and then um uh if it's an actual game game try uh to at least have a video of it yeah, even if it's good. a board game of people playing but mm. a little clip of a video yeah. Kind of a trailer of yes, your game. Edited, yeah. It's really, really, really good. Also, uh, it's important to mention like what you did on the game. Exactly. Most games are exactly. Game, so. What was your role? What you did? You know. And of course, you have time. You can put a little like, "Here was our biggest problem. Here's how we solved it." Like mm-hmm. a little postmortem line or something like that. That would be really good. Uh, Emil said earlier, send PDFs. If you have mm. PDF version of stuff, it's still... You can link things from PDF. Yeah, I appreciate exactly. it when... I will not discard a resume because it doesn't link to the yeah. portfolio. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate yeah. it when it's a, a yeah. hyperlink. And yeah. and Google Docs, you can store tons of stuff. Yeah, sure. There's no excuse. No, you can have your Google Docs. Enough. You can yeah. do sharing, like lock it down if mm. you want. But, but again, make stuff... Share it. There's there's two books actually. It's called uh, "Steal Like an Artist" I love that book. and oh, "Show yeah. Your Work." Yeah, these are two. Yeah. They're both by the same author. I recommend both of them. Mm-hmm. They'll get you into right mentality. They're super short. Also. They're super short. You'll finish them in five minutes. But the key, the information there is very important. P- make stuff. Put it online. Make stuff. Put it online. Don't care about who's taking it or who's doing whatever. In it. No one cares. Because the more you do, you'll eventually have enough of a, a you know, portfolio you've created that you'll someone will notice. Yeah. Also, I think uh, once you start forming a portfolio, you can start removing your earlier. Yeah, eventually. Ones. Yeah, I left all mine up because I'm desperate. Really? But no, no, no. But uh, yeah, definitely, you start removing yeah, stuff start removing that you don't stuff. need after a while. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to say a big thanks to uh, both Emil and uh, Orash to coming in today. Sure. Thank you for having us. Mm-hmm.